we now come to what has become one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It's one that only Mark's Gospel records, and it connects deeply with the kinds of struggles that so many of us are facing today. If ever there was a single statement uttered by someone in the Gospels that captures the uncertainty and tension of life today, it was by the Father in this scripture reading. Kind of serves as our spokesperson in today's story. It takes place right after the transfiguration of Jesus, after he and the disciples were walking down the mountain, after the, the shimmer and wonder of that amazing event began to fade. And no sooner had Jesus and his closest disciples come down from the mountain before they saw a large crowd and several religious officials were arguing with the other disciples. And in the center of it all was a father whose son was possessed by what the Bible says was an evil spirit. Now, it's possible that it was a literal demon, or it could have been Mark's best way to describe a dark emotional and mental state. Either way, it rendered this poor son mute and uncontrollable. But as we dig into the story, we discover that as, as much as the boy was suffering physically, the real issue at stake was what was happening emotionally and spiritually. The father went first to the disciples. He was confident that, that simply going to them would guarantee his son's healing. But as often happens in life, the man did not get what he was hoping for. His boy was still as sick as ever, and the disciples were not able to deliver. And most importantly, this father was starting to lose faith. And that's when Jesus showed up. The man went up to Jesus, and he opened up the file with his whole medical history to show him. Foamy mouth, grinding teeth, stiff muscles. But listen to what Jesus said in response, in, in what sounds like a heartless rebuke. You faithless generation, he said. How long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Yikes. Poor father. First, the disciples weren't able to heal his son. And now he's apparently catching Jesus on a bad day. But maybe, maybe what Jesus was offering here was not so much a rebuke of the man, but a reminder to everyone listening that there would be a time when he would not be with them. That they wouldn't always have his real life, flesh and blood presence to see or, or hear or touch and experience. And if they were having trouble believing in Jesus now, when he was with them in the flesh, how hard would it be when they couldn't see him? You know, like today for you and me. Because this is our entry point into the story with all that you might be dealing with in your life right now, all the uncertainty we're facing as a community, as a country, in a world, how hard is it for you to hold on to your confidence when the tough times come and when the doubts seem to soar? That is what the man was facing, and that's what you and I are feeling. As the story goes, Jesus then asked the boy to come to him and that's when the boy's symptoms went on full display. And he fell to the ground, he, he rolled around, he foamed at the mouth. The father explained that his symptoms had been with him since childhood. And he'd had several near-death experiences. He was basically lucky to still be alive, but this was no way to live. And so the father begged Jesus, 
Help us. If you're able, Jesus, please do something. To which Jesus responded by saying, I am able if you believe. And here it is. It is in this moment that the Father responds with one of the most powerful and poignant statements in the entire gospel. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I find that response to be utterly fascinating and incredibly real. The father appeared to say two contradictory things at once, belief and unbelief, both yes and no. I get it and I don't get it. It's right to wonder what the man meant by that. I mean, if we were there, we would have asked him, hey, what did you mean by that, sir? How can you believe and not believe? How can both things be true? I mean, if my eighth grade grammar teacher, Mrs. Durant, were there, she might have given him some grammatical advice. I can hear her say to the man, you're missing a conjunction there. You seem to be missing a word in between those two statements, something, something to help us understand the relationship between I believe and help my unbelief. The thing is, looking at the original Greek doesn't offer any help because there is no conjunction there either. So many English translations simply separate them with a comma, without a connector. So rather than having the luxury of asking this father personally for clarification, we're basically left to playing mad libs with the Gospels. There's a blank there. It's asking us to fill it. So first, we try the word however. I mean, that seems reasonable enough. I mean, Lord, I believe, however, help my unbelief. certainly seems to work because it is true for many of us. Yes, we believe, but we still doubt. Yes, we live with certainty. However, we are still uncertain. We can all relate to this idea, I mean, especially right now. We want to be certain about things, don't we? I mean, we, we spend so much of our lives acquiring knowledge in order to understand how the world is supposed to work. We learned math and science to figure out the mechanics of the universe. We learned language to be clear about how to share our ideas. We learned skills in order to master what we know and what we can do. In other words, we spend most of our energy trying to escape uncertainty, not embrace it, and then life happens. And you can fill in the blank here. Most of us have had these kinds of occurrences from just this past year alone. Suffering and tragedy, grief and loss, global pandemic, racial unrest, natural disasters, events that shock us into the sobering reality that things don't always turn out the way we expect or the way we would hope. So it's like standing on shifting tectonic plates or, or wearing some fraying fabric. So many of the basic assumptions we once made about how the world should work begin shifting beneath our feet, begin getting tugged and pulled around us. Eventually, the certainty of our faith and the uncertainty of life pull against each other as polar opposites, like a pendulum swinging between two extremes. And so it leads to Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And if that's what the man is saying to Jesus, then we're right there with him. However, I'd like to suggest another one. 
One that might be a liberating idea for you to hear today. How about the word, therefore? Lord, I believe, therefore, help my unbelief. In other words, what if Mark is saying in this story that certainty and uncertainty are not mutually exclusive, but are designed to be co-companions in your life? What if they are the yin to the yang? What if they both exist in our lives just as light creates shadows? Like if you have one, you have to have the other. The more you grow in your understanding of who you are and the world around you and the reality of God in your life, then the more you must be aware of what you don't know and be ready for the surprises that lie ahead. If we plug in the word therefore, it would remind us that ambiguity in life is not always a bad thing. Struggling over what we don't know does not convey how weak we are, but simply how human we are. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but the embrace of it, and ultimately the transformation of it. Courage is not to be the absence of fear, but the conscious choice to confront it. The truth of the matter is, we live in a time when there can be more value in ambiguity than in certainty. There can be more benefit in embracing complexity and diversity rather than rigid, dogmatic self-assurance. I mean, don't you wish our political rhetoric would understand this idea? Our world will be made better, not by the extremists on the fringe who think everyone else has it wrong, but by those who believe that there is value in dialogue, by those willing to lean into the discomfort, and who understand that uncertainty can be a key to growth and ultimately to transformation. It's interesting to note Jesus' response to the man. You know, in many other gospel stories, we find Jesus praising a person for their faith or saying how impressed he was by them. But here, Jesus says nothing to the man in response. Nothing at all. So we're led to believe that Jesus found the man's response to be neither troublesome or noteworthy. Maybe it's because Jesus found his response to be so natural. You and I might struggle over what the man meant when he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But it seems that Jesus knew. He knew that the man was simply demonstrating all that it meant to be human. This, after all, would be the same Jesus that would later in his life say in the very same breath, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. It's the very same Jesus that knew how to hold two polar opposites in harmony within himself, fully human, fully divine. So Jesus gave this man the most affirming non-response in the Gospels. Because instead of responding verbally, Jesus moved on to the important business of healing. He entered the ambiguity of the moment and he spoke the demon out of his son's body. In other words... The moment the man admitted his doubt, Jesus responded with healing. That's the lesson here for all of us. When we are at our most vulnerable, at the point of acknowledging our deepest struggles, Jesus doesn't, doesn't judge us or praise us. Jesus transforms us, heals us. So if we insert the word therefore into the man's statement, then we receive this great lesson this morning don't settle for easy answers in life. 
Don't ever stop thirsting for wisdom or checking your assumptions or embracing the unknown. Don't ever stop maturing in your faith. Admit your doubts and name your questions. And if you're looking for a model in recent Christian history of someone who was able to hold his belief and unbelief together in balance, I invite you to consider Thomas Merton. Merton was a Roman Catholic Trappist monk who wrote over 70 books on the spiritual life. And one of his most famous prayers was part of his Thoughts in Solitude, first published in 1954. It touches on this theme of longing to do God's will, even when discerning God's will seems impossible. It conveys an intimacy with God when God seems most distant. And it holds in tension both certainty and uncertainty in a beautiful way. So I'd like to offer it as the closing prayer to the sermon this morning. Let's pray. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.